Good morning. It is good to be able to worship with you today. I have always loved my bird's eye view from the chancel where I can see all of you sitting in your pews in your particular seats. Today I am coming to you from the church's chapel and it's fun to imagine that you are now watching this from the comfort of your couch or your kitchen table or possibly even your bed. It has been good to see folks post their pictures on social media, sometimes with their animals worshiping with them. This has really been a nice treat. Please consider taking a picture today and post it or you can send it to us. We would love to see you. It is good to be together on this Lord's Day. We are continuing with our Lenten sermon series all I know is this, and this week's topic is grief. All I know is this about grief. Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 17 through 44. It's the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, as Christy spoke to earlier. Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha, and these four were all good friends. Well, Lazarus got very sick while Jesus was elsewhere doing his work, and his sister sent Jesus a message to let him know that their brother was sick. They were hoping that Jesus would return to Bethany to heal their brother, but Jesus doesn't come for three days. Let's begin reading the Gospel of John chapter 11 at verse 17. Listen for the word of the Lord. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet 
and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I remember way back in November of 2019, doesn't that seem like ages ago? I remember being on a clergy retreat with Amy, Wilson, and Janet. We were sitting in the wonderfully comfortable farm home that Francis, Kate, and Nicholas Reynolds let us use. We were enjoying this warm space, this time away together, and grateful for the chance to ponder what the upcoming season of Lent might bring. We were a little proud of ourselves for getting ahead and we were pleased to have this time, this time to pray, to create, to plan, to dream, to discuss, to organize. It was around the Reynolds family farm table that we came up with the idea of, all I know is this, we wanted to talk about what it means to be a disciple of Christ. We wanted something fresh and new, recognizing that the word disciple is old and maybe overused. How could we rebrand it, reframe it, refresh it? We discussed talking about what we knew, what we believed it meant to be a disciple, to be a learner, a student of the church, a student of Christ. We looked at the lectionary text for Lent and we began to consider what we knew about discipleship and then what we knew about trust, promises, being chosen, beloved children of Christ, what we know about grief, which is where we are this week. We are in the final weeks of Lent, 
14 days until Easter. 30 days ago, we were in the sanctuary on Ash Wednesday. Remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. A lot has happened since then. It's surreal, right? There's a meme going around on social media that says something like, I didn't plan to give up this much for Lent. The coronavirus, this pandemic, social and physical isolation, the changes we are enduring, the sacrifice many are making. We are giving up a lot of our regular lives this Lent. Sometimes I feel like I am living in a movie scene rather than my own life. I am married to a filmmaker, so maybe that has something to do with it. But everything is different. What do we make of this? Today our text invites us to consider grief. Grief, what does it mean? Many of us, when we hear grief, we think of the experience after a loved one dies. Author Joan Didion wrote this about grief after the death of her husband. She says, grief turns out to be a place none of us know until we reach it. In the version of grief, we imagine the model will be healing a certain forward movement will prevail. The worst days will be the earliest days. We imagine that the moment to most severely test us will be the funeral, after which this hypothetical healing will take place. When we anticipate the funeral, we wonder about failing to get through it, rise to the occasion, exhibit the strength, that invariably gets mentioned as the correct response to death. We anticipate needing to steal ourselves for the moment. Will I be able to greet people? Will I be able to leave the scene? Will I be able even to get dressed that day? We have no way of knowing that this will not be the issue. We have no way of knowing that the funeral itself will be anodyne, a kind of narcotic regression in which we are wrapped in the care of others and the gravity and meaning of the occasion. Nor can we know ahead of the fact, and here lies the heart of the difference between grief as we imagine it and grief as it is, the unending absence that follows, the void, the very opposite of meaning, the relentless succession of moments during which we will confront the experience of meaninglessness itself. I can identify with that, and I can imagine many of you can as well. The grief that we experience when someone we love dies. After 15 years of ministry, I had sat with hundreds of families in their time of grief, planning memorial services, walking the mourner's path with them. And I began to convince myself that I would be able to handle death when it came. Why? Because I am a believer 
I believe in the resurrection, and I know my loved one will be in a better place. Surely I'll be okay. Plus, all those families that I have sat with, I have had lots of experience. I know how to grieve. And then, my Aunt KK died suddenly in 2015, unexpectedly, totally out of the blue. When I got that call from my cousin Scott, I literally lost it. Unbelievable. My beloved Aunt KK had a stroke. She died at her doorstep on the way out to run errands. Because she had volunteered with hospice, she had her memorial service planned out. It was an exercise the volunteers did together. And in her instructions, she said, Mary Kay will read scripture. Now I am named after KK. I was born on her birthday. There were times in my life where she served as a second mom for me. I was devastated. We all were. But I thought, surely I can read scripture at her service. I am a professional. Well, I stood up in that lectern that day of her service and I opened up my Bible to the 23rd Psalm and I cried, I cried. The wave of grief overcame me. I didn't have control, I wept. Grief, it is big, powerful, crafty, creative, cunning. It shows up when it will, it comes in waves and cannot be tamed. There are many expressions of grief, and I don't have a best definition. There are plenty of articles written, even right now, about grief and the coronavirus. If you don't know if you are grieving or not, maybe bear on the side of yes, you probably are. Change causes grief, and our lives are different. They have changed for sure. All of our students and particularly our high school seniors are experiencing a form of grief this week. Those who have been so excited about graduation this spring, they were looking forward to their final track meet or imagining riding home on the bus after their last event, the prom walking to receive their diploma at graduation. I reached out to some of the seniors in our church this week, Sarah Garman, Hannah, Carter, Sophie, and John Phillip, graciously shared with me the gut-wrenching feeling they particularly experienced when they heard the news on Monday that school would be out for the rest of this year, their senior year. They shared honestly what they were feeling, and I am so glad they did. This is so bizarre for them and their parents. Each of them said that what was the hardest was not being able to do the things they hoped to do with their friends. This might be referred to as anticipatory grief. Our prayers are with them in this time of loss. We do not have enough time in this sermon to discuss the many stages or levels of grief, 
But we do know from our text that Jesus grieved. Jesus wept. When his best friend Lazarus died, Personally, I am one who, let's just say, likes to stay in front of my emotions. I would prefer they take a back seat. But every once in a while, they grab me. They get a grip on me, and I am stunned. It was as if Jesus, even though surely he knew that he could take care of things, it was as if the magnitude of his friend Lazarus being dead and then standing there with his friends, Lazarus' sister, Mary and Martha, Jesus, our Savior, the one who overcomes death, nonetheless, he grieved. Even on these days when our world has been turned upside down, we may be asking, why? Why must we be confined to our homes? Why are people getting sick? Why are some dying? It's big. It's haunting. And it is important to feel the feelings. And we may need to weep, to grieve, to grieve the loss we know. Here's what I know. If we aren't honest with ourselves about our feelings of grief, if we don't let it have its space, what do you think happens? Do you think it just goes away? Wouldn't that be nice? It probably won't. Our sadness, our disappointment, our pain wants to be named and otherwise it might just show up sideways. We might instead experience it as anger. Friends, these are trying times. We are in an unprecedented place, a foreign land. We don't exactly know the way forward. What are we going to do? Do we push our way forward artificially because it is too scary to recognize this all feels so unfamiliar? Or do we continue to put our trust in our God who weeps with us, who is the resurrection and the life, who turns darkness into light, who will not abandon us, but who instead meets us exactly where we are. Grief transforms. That is what Amy wrote in our litany for Lent. Change creates grief and grief creates change. We are different. What I know is that when we love something, which has got to be the greatest gift our Creator gave us, calling us to love one another, being in relationship with each other. When we love, we get connected, we feel deeply, we enjoy, we want to be with. And then when this stops, when this is taken away from us, it hurts. We grieve. So my final word, and this is becoming a very familiar encouragement these days, and for this I give thanks. My final words, be kind. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to one another. Be kind. 
Jesus was kind to Mary and Martha. Jesus was kind to himself, letting himself weep for his friend. Jesus gave thanks when his friend, who had been dead for some time, threw off his grave clothes and walked out into the light. Friends, we are Easter people. Yes, we are in Lent, and what a Lent it has been. It is dark here, but we are not alone. We may be getting in touch with our own mortality, our dependence on God, and even our dependence on one another. From dust you came to dust you shall return. Let us pay attention, listen, breathe, be kind. And may we know, even just for today, that it is well, it is well within our soul. Amen.